Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome on The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined by Nick Stevens. Bob Phelan, our co-host, is out this week. But we have a lot going on on this episode, including Connor Norby will be joining us for an interview. And then Nick and I will discuss the latest results of the January 15th international signing, headlined by the acquisition of Luis Almeida, who set a new record for international signing bonus from the Orioles. But first, um, as we do at the top of every episode, we want to introduce new members of our Patreon community. And for that, I will turn it over to Nick. Yeah, uh, let's see if I can do this. Uh, this is usually Bob's job. But uh, we got one new patron since last week, Will Strickland. Welcome aboard. Thank you for your patronage. He did join at the AAA level, so that's awesome. Uh, we're still rolling out a top 30 or a top 50 countdown on Patreon. And actually, we got number 31 lined up for tomorrow. And for patrons, uh, it's, it is it is another player interview. Uh, we're going to talk to number 31 himself. So, uh, yeah, come join. Come hang out. And on tonight's episode, we are talking to the second-round pick in the 2021 draft out of East Carolina University, who spent the 2022 season between three teams in the Orioles minor league system, hitting 29 home runs along the way. That includes 17 at AA Bowie and then four more at AAA Norfolk, where he hit the ball very well over his final nine games of the season. He is second baseman Connor Norby. Connor, how are you? I'm good. Hope you, hope you guys are doing well. Well, it's great to have you on here. Uh, we've certainly enjoyed watching you in the last year and a half that you've been part of the Orioles organization. Yes. And when you look back your first full year with the Orioles, what accomplishments are you particularly proud of? Um, it's a long year and just being mentally there, I think every day that was the biggest challenge, but getting a year under my belt, um, I think that's one big thing. Um, getting to experience the life a little bit, the minor league life, professional baseball life. Um, I mean, I think my season is summed up and I, I think it's summed up in two seasons really. And I've told everyone that and um, I've seen both sides of the spectrum, the struggle, the, the parts when you're feeling good, I've seen it all and getting to experience everything in that, all that in, in between. Um, I think that's the part, uh, that stands out the most. Was there anything either on the field or off the field that maybe challenged you in a way that you maybe didn't think it would, or you just weren't expecting as you adjusted to your first full season of pro, like, I know, for example, something big that we heard earlier in the year that was shocking to us to, to learn as we you know, talk to more of you guys and learn more about the day-to-day grind of you know minor league life, but like Colton Kowser talking about 
focusing on his sleep schedule and how much that impacted him early on. Was was there anything like that for you last year? I think the just the biggest adjustment, in my opinion, was playing every single day. And you don't do that in college. You don't do that in high school. Um, I think that was the biggest adjustment and realizing that no matter if I played well or if I didn't play well, I'm going to be out there tomorrow. So whatever happened, I have to flush it. And I had some great advice going along, uh, along the way from multiple people that helped me get to where I am today. And um, I think that was probably the biggest adjustment is realizing like I'm playing five, six times a week. Um, and whatever had happened last week, whatever happened last night, like it's a new day, it's a new at bat, it's a new pitch really understanding how to take it second by second, moment by moment. I know you didn't play under the old minor league schedule, your three or four game series. Now you guys Monday off six games at one spot, but are, are you able to like ever disconnect like during the week? And if so, like, how do you go about kind of disconnecting from baseball? I try to as best as I can. Um, as far as when I get, when the Jersey comes off, I become, myself um i'm not the baseball player anymore you try to separate the two and i try to kick back and relax as much as i can when i'm able to get away from the baseball side of things i'll do it um whether it's we'll take a trip to washington whether we take a trip to um baltimore whether we take whether we play video games all day watching whatever it may be um i try to just step away when i can because it is a long year and mentally you need it since being drafted um what adjustments have you made to hit for more power uh your home run numbers in your final season the ecu were a big uptick that you had done before but you took that a step further last year i the thing that i learned at college was not making contact with every pitch so far deep like and it was learning to how how to hit the ball at extension really and catch the ball a little further out in front even if it's an away pitch because i was storing so much power left in my backside so i learned that how to do that effectively in college and it allowed me to still be able to do what i do and that stay inside the baseball um and then this year i think it was just believing in myself trusting that i put a lot of time in the weight room and I spend hours in there and I believe in swinging and I believe in my swing itself. And I think the two biggest things is for me this year were, did I swing at a good pitch and did I hit like, did I swing at a good pitch and was I in the right mind when I got up to the plate? And if, if I can answer those two, um, usually I find I can find some results. Um, but that's just the thing. You got to find them. One the thing we've seen a lot about is how, good you are at actually hitting the ball out to right center field, um, which is something that's getting a little bit more noticed now as right-handed hitters in the Orioles farm system because of the left field wall being moved back at Canton Yards. So is that something that's deliberate in your swing where you try to take the ball the other way, or is it just something that kind of happened over the course of the year? I learned it at a young age. Um, I get myself in trouble when I started to pull the ball. So the left field wall being moved back really – I never really thought about it too much because it's like my where I'd like to think my power is is to center and to the gaps, um, especially a right center. And that's where I try to hit the ball. Um, that's where I'm most effective is when I'm thinking that way. So when the when the wall got moved back, I really didn't think twice about it. 
we had Kobe Mayo on a couple weeks ago and uh, asked him who's going to get more home runs next year. Of course, he said himself, between the two of you, he said himself, but you might get him in the, the center field, right center department. Uh, any uh, response to Kobe's uh, challenge there? We'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> it's a long year. We'll see. <laughs> but your power display was certainly impressive all year, but it seemed like you particularly enjoyed hitting first inning home runs at all three levels. It what was behind that impressive performance? I think at one point late in the year, Matt Sabatos, the, the voice at the Bay Sox, it was late in the season. It said, tweeted something about you, and you were tied with I think Jose Altuve for like the most first in your home runs in all of baseball. What was behind that? I, being leadoff hitter, I figured they're gonna throw a fastball first pitch, and a lot of the times that first pitch might be the best one you see all night, even. So I get a swing off, be ready for it. Um, and then when I got to AAA, when I got there, Buck came up to me before the game and he, he tapped me on the shoulder and he was like, swing, first pitch, swing. So I did and it worked out. But I think sometimes you don't even get pitches to swing at and then I, you don't get good pitches sometimes and it is what it is. But if it's there, I try to be ready for it. And um, a lot of times that first one might be the best one you see. Uh, so they they want to start off the count of one. I'm ready to swing. A lot of analysis on our end and from our listeners goes into how different it is to hit at the ballparks throughout the Orioles minor league system. And it seems like Aberdeen is tough on hitters. Bowie tends to be a little bit more hitter friendly. But how would you describe Norfolk? Because we've heard over the years that Norfolk can be a tough hitters park, especially in the cold weather months. But it seemed like you hit pretty well there. I mean, I only had three games there, so I guess we'll find out. But Bowie is, I think, a little bit more hitter-friendly than Aberdeen for sure. Um, Aberdeen was a little bit tougher. Um, I don't know. I can't I, – mound might be a little bit high. Lights are a little bit tougher to see at night. Just a little handful of things, but no excuse to why I shouldn't have performed better. But – I think Bowie, when I got there, it was kind of like a sigh of relief because everyone was saying how the ball flies a little bit better, the wind blows out a little bit more. Um, so that helped. And then in North in Norfolk, it's it's a big league park. It's dimensions are big leagues, so you got to be ready for it if you want to make it to the next level. It all um, you're also using big league balls. They tend to go a little bit further. They tend to get hit a little bit harder. It, we always hear kind of from guys that move up from you know low A to double A or high A to double A about you know the pitchers being able to use better breaking stuff. Uh, you said you only had a couple of games up there at the AAA level, so you didn't get to see too much. But um, from your couple of at bats, maybe conversations with other guys, did you notice anything that that stood out among the pitching from going from double A to triple A at the end of the year there? Um, my first week was against the Bulls, and they're the best. Uh, minor league team the last two years so it was kind of like welcome to it a little bit um so I was facing Yanni Chirinos and um Glasnow was there rehabbing and they had a handful of other guys but it was it was awesome um I think guys stuff gets better as you go on I think the biggest jump in my opinion is high to double a um as far as guys being able to locate their usage of off-speed pitches their confidence in those pitches um i think that's the biggest jump i would say triple a's guys that are more polished and they're that 
they're in between that big league and some of them are big leaguers some of them are established big leaguers that are there and i think that was the biggest jump is they're just they're just polished they're they don't really make mistakes that much and but when they do you like because every pitcher does you got to just be ready for it what goes into that jump from high a to double a because it would seem like maybe in high a you know as someone who was drafted out of college maybe you're seeing stuff that is similar to what you saw in division one ncaa but double a has to be much different i would imagine double a yeah high a was a lot there's a lot of velo and that's where you i thought i saw most of the velo throughout the year was in double a or in high a but when i got to double a it was that usage of off-speed pitches like i said and the ability to land them in any count and their confidence in them but i would I would say a lot like the top tier college pitchers that I faced are like double A pitchers in my opinion, if not higher. Um, I faced plenty of them, like faced Gavin Williams, faced um, Kyle Harrison, um, those type of guys. But in college, I was Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker. They're throw them in double A, and then they'll have success. Going back to your time in Aberdeen. Um, what is that like for, for you? You talked about some of the things that maybe contributed to why it's difficult for hitters to be a little bit more successful at Aberdeen. But um, what's it like for you when maybe the results aren't there, but you know, you're, you're making good contact on the ball? You know you're doing everything right maybe one night, but the results just aren't there. What is that like for you, and, and how do you go through that the day-to-day of that to, to get through that? I think for the first month of the season, I thought I was the unluckiest hitter on the planet, it felt like. And I had several conversations with several people about just you're doing the right things. Just keep finding the barrel. It'll work itself out. Um, it all comes full circle eventually. Um, because it, there, my stats didn't show it, which, I mean, stats mean don't mean a lot nowadays, especially to the guys above me. But... Um, I was just unlucky, it felt like, and I was doing the right things. I was finding the barrel, and that's all you can ask as a hitter. And it was just, you feel like you're doing things right. You're not getting rewarded, and it is, it's humbling for sure. Um, that I think that was, I got humbled for sure that first month because I felt like I was doing everything I could do, and I just wasn't finding success um, per se. Um, but... It's at the end of the day, what got me through it was understanding that I just have to keep doing the right things. If I find the barrel more times than not, I will get rewarded just like any other hitter. Um, and that's what sticks with me. If I if I hit a ball straight now, but I hit the barrel, so be it. I did my job. I found the barrel. It seemed like you know, having Roberto Mercado, the manager down there for the high Aberdeen Ironbirds last year, and you started there with Kobe Mayo and Colton Kowser and a big group of just talented guys. We know that Aberdeen team went on to make it to the high championship series. What kind of you know advice are the, that coaching staff giving you and how instrumental were they in helping you work through a lot of that? They, they were fun. Um, all of them were really fun and Berto really understood to let us kind of play. We'll figure ourselves out. We're going to win games. We're talented enough to win games. And if he just lets us play, and we we won a lot of them. Um, he didn't try to micromanage things. He understood that we were looking to get better. And there was things that each of us wanted to do and how we had to improve individually. But at the end of the day, he let us play. And I think that's what led to the success because he 
knew the talent that we had throughout the lineup, throughout the rotation, and he just kind of let us go. The Orioles clearly love their defensive versatility with prospects, and you saw some time in left field last season. Did you have much experience working out or playing in the outfield while in ECU, or is this a relatively new experience for you? I've never once played the outfield. I Actually, when I was younger, they put me in the outfield one game, and I'd usually played short, and I remember playing outfield on the dirt still. And so I've never played out there. Um, it was actually kind of my idea. I'd been bugging him about it for a little bit because I saw Taryn, um, and I lean on Taryn a lot at times. And I was watching him do both, and they were like, let's try it. So, And Taryn happened to be re rehabbing with us at the time, and they said, go take some fly balls with him. Go pick his brain a little bit. So I did, and um, I enjoyed it. And it was it was one of those things that they – did it for me like let me play out there once a week to kind of get used to it kind of get some work in um it also helped get me off my feet a little bit grasses be on the grass more so than the dirt um but at the end of the day i wanted to be out there because it increases my uh, ability increases my versatility which versatility is never a bad thing what kind of uh, it sounds like you have had conversations with Taryn Vavra, and it would seem like you all the two of you have similar backgrounds. Both are second baseman, both have a good understanding of strike zone, both have good bat to ball skills. So, how did how did you first uh, get introduced to him, and what are your conversations like, and how do you try to pick his brain? My first, I kind of knew him or figured like got to know him through Minnesota the background of me being from Minnesota and him being a big uh, hockey fan. So that's kind of how it got started and um, getting to work with him at camp. And then when he was rehabbing in Aberdeen and getting to know him there even better. And um, when he, he, he actually wasn't in AAA, but we still talk every couple weeks now, um, but getting to pick his brain on what he sees, what he's thinking in the box, how he, goes about his work. That's the biggest thing is watching what he does. And you try to pick apart guys like that, like Gunner, like Adley, when I'm around them, I try to see what they do to, for as far as prep work and try to implement in my own way and see how it works for me. Um, but how I got to know Taryn was through the Minnesota background type thing. Um, and he's been awesome. But, uh, Going back to your defense though, at second base, I think a lot of people, they see the home runs, they see the bat, uh, but they always, the question we get all the time is, well, how's this defense for people you know who maybe aren't watching MILB, MILB TV or getting to the ballpark to watch you live? What's the defense at second base? So we've asked, we had Tim DeJean on last week, and he said the biggest thing with you is that you give 100% every single time you're out there and how hard you work to perfect your craft. What specifically have you been working on to uh, improve your defense at second base and get ready for the next level now that you're you're just one step away from the major leagues? Uh, the two biggest things I've taken into this offseason and I'm looking forward to getting back to work with DJ and Buck and those guys that have really helped me along the way and helped me improve. But the two biggest things were um, being 100% confident in fielding with one hand, going to pick that before it gets that in-between hop, getting that hop, and then um, around the bag work at second, feeds, turns, that that type of thing. Um, but 
you you can just about this defense thing i'll let i'll just let dj answer that for all the people that are wondering he had high praise for for your defense so so you got a chance to play with joey ortiz a lot last year at Bowie and then again at norfolk what is it like to play alongside him in the infield uh, me and him me and him kind of gelled right away um and i've met him before i met him at camp last year and getting to play with him we i think we clicked right from the get-go and getting to work with him every day he i mean he's i think the words you guys use or what dj used was he's a wizard and he really is um so getting to work with him and when i think when i'm around people that are better than me or just as talent like i'm gonna my game's gonna raise hopefully their game raises too um i always want to improve and he's always eager to learn and improve it as well and it's sometimes hard for him to improve because he's so good on the defensive side of the ball but me and him kind of clicked and we rolled with it and we became really close um over our time in Bowie. and when he left uh it was kind of i was kind of sad for a little bit because i was like ah i don't have joey up there up the middle with me but um i'm looking forward to getting back to work with him because he's he's awesome when you look at the upper levels of this system you have yourself talk about Taryn Vavra, Joey Ortiz, Gunnar Henderson is up in the big leagues now, Jordan Westberg, Cesar Prieto, Dale Hernandez. I mean, we can just keep going on and on, but all of you guys are in the upper levels of the minors now. How has this group impacted your development since joining the organization and getting to play alongside this really impressive deep group of middle infielders? Like I said, I think competition brings out the best in anyone. And you just named a bunch of guys that are going to be a big going to be in the big leagues for a long time and when you're around that type of caliber of players your game's going to elevate too um but getting like i get to work with them every day which is the cool part and i get to see them every day and see how they go about their business and they're i mean they're great players and they will be continue to be for a long time so getting is trying to pick their brains as much as i can without trying to be like the annoying little brother type person but um you hope to call i hope to call them teammates soon um that's the goal and i know we're all we all have one goal um but they're top class people top class players you're obviously playing with a lot of talented guys in the Orioles farm system right now is there a teammate of yours whether it's a hitter or a pitcher that you think flies under the radar a little bit maybe doesn't get enough credit for how good they are I can name you five, probably. There's so many guys in this org, sometimes it feels overwhelming at times um, because our organization is so loaded, and I tell people that all the time. It's And it almost feels full at times, to be honest with you. Um, but I think there's two big guys, and I think Daryl Hernandez is one, and I know you guys talked about him. He's... He's so he's young. He's talented. He's eager. He's hungry. Um, I think John Rose is another. He's he's young. He's eager. He's hungry. Um, but I think those are the two big guys to watch out for um, wherever they start and when they when it clicks for them, they're it clicks and they're on. Is there a guy, if you had to switch roles and they had to throw you on the mound, uh, who was who the one guy that in this organization that you do not want stepping in that batter's box to face against you? I, I actually used to pitch too, but I'm not, uh, there's no way I'm getting on the mound now. <laughs>
does Adley count? Yeah, we'll count Adley. Okay, Adley. His his plate discipline is too good. Um, he would just he would spit on all my stuff. I don't I don't got anything to beat him with either. I, I don't think many people do. So no, there's not many. There's really not. But his plate discipline, him and I think him and Taryn have their understanding of what the strike zone is is it's incredible. So as we kind of. Good. I was going to say, as we kind of wrap up here and your offseason wraps up, is there anything specific you've been focused on? You talked about a couple of things on the defensive side of things, but is there anything specifically that you've been focusing on this offseason as you prepare for 2023? And uh, what are you looking to improve upon the most uh, heading into next year? Um, the thing I'm looking to improve on the most this year is just finding that consistency, not riding the roller coaster, I like to say. Um, but what I've been working on this offseason is the defensive side of the ball, like I've said, I've worked a lot on that and hitting. I loved, I love to hit. Everyone loves to hit, but I, I really love to hit and understand and just trying to find the barrels. Many times I'll do a lot of different velos. I'll do a lot of different types of shapes, um, off the machine. I, I just want to mash in my opinion. Um, so I'm trying to just find the barrel as much as I can and see how many try to hit some more homers this year, but we'll see. Before we wrap up here, we do have a couple of questions from our listeners, and I'll start with Sterling in our Patreon group. Um, what are some of your off-season hobbies, and if you game, are you an Xbox or PlayStation guy? My hobbies. I love to watch movies. I do play the PlayStation. Um, those are about the only two things I do. We did get a question from uh, Keith Mayo. I think you may know him. He says, who's the bigger hockey fan, uh, you or Kobe? I am. Kobe just found out what hockey was a year ago. Let's relax. He's from Florida. There's no ice in Florida. There, that is always, I've always wondered why there are so many hockey teams uh, in the state of Florida. But, it, uh, but me, and him, me and him really uh, got into it last year, especially being roommates, and I expect nothing to change this year. He, we still talk hockey all the time. So what is that dynamic like? Uh, which teams are you guys rooting for? He's a Panthers fan, and I'm a Wild fan. Um, but when we play, we'll play each other. And you can ask him who's up on in the series because he knows. But we kind of we'll do a randoms. Uh, you, you do it's called three suicide or three randoms and a suicide. So you kind of just get what the game gives you, and you'll play at those teams. There, there seems to be some pretty intense uh, competition between you oh, guys when it comes to they, hockey. They do, uh, they do get intense. A um, couple controllers have been thrown before. Um, <laughs> Kobe's very vocal at times too. He he can yell really loud. Um, I feel bad for whoever's our apartment, who's ever neighbors to us in the apartments <laughs> sometimes. But it's it's all in good fun. We enjoy it. Well, Connor, best of luck to you um, for a little bit of time that's left here in this offseason in the spring training. We'll certainly be following you and rooting for you this year. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Quick word here from our sponsor, uh, DraftKings. The NFL playoff action continues. We're one step closer to Super Bowl 57. And for the NFL divisional round, check out DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and exciting customers can take a shot 
and an even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your NFL winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Think Trevor Lawrence continues his Saturday streak against the Chiefs? Will the 49ers ride the hot hand of Mr. Relevant Brock Purdy against the Cowboys? Download a DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code on the birds. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL Divisional Round and get $200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code on the birds. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So, Nick, on that note, I know you're a Cowboys fan. How are you feeling after this weekend? I'm feeling great. Cowboys ending Tom Brady's career, possibly. Um, yeah, it was a good weekend of football. But, yeah, now I'm – honestly, though, I, as much fun as these playoffs are, you know, we've been doing some more player interviews lately. And it's getting me more and more excited, though, for baseball. And the, the international signing last week certainly uh, hyped up the excitement a little bit, we'll say. Yeah, absolutely. And that interview discussion with Connor was great. You know, I think we've heard for a long time how smart of a hitter he is, you know, his kind of advanced feel for the game. But you can tell that this is someone who really does seem to be a student in the game. And it's no question to me now why he was as successful as he was last year. Yeah, I think it's just really cool when these guys that come on and you know, not just guys on our show, but when they're doing interviews elsewhere too, a lot of times, so many times you hear how you know, they're picking each other's brains. You know, it, it's, yes, this guy, like I'm going to go to Daryl Hernandez, who might be two years younger than me, but I'm going to pick his brain. Uh, and, you know, Connor Norby looking up to a guy like Taryn Vavra and being able to pick his brain uh, and guys like Adley. I mean, it's, it's really cool to see that at all levels of this organization, it, it truly does seem to be one unit working towards that one goal. Uh, something that we've talked about a lot of times with the coaching staff and how they approach this. To see that among the players, I think it's just a really cool aspect of this organization. And it's what makes, for me personally, I, it, it's, it's one thing that makes watching these guys and covering this organization so much more fun. Yeah, absolutely. And we're now going to have some new prospects to talk about as the January 15th international signing period took place over the weekend. And as is the case, usually with international free agency signing periods, all of the big deals were made on day one. And for the Baltimore Orioles, that was signing shortstop Luis Almeida to a $2.3 million signing bonus, which is the largest bonus a franchise has ever given out to a Latin American amateur player. And if you've been keeping score, you know that that is the third consecutive international signing period in which the Orioles set that record as Samuel Basayo was paid $1.3 million in 2021 before Braylon Tavera received $1.7 million last year. Almeida has a very interesting background. He was actually born in the United States and did not move until to the Dominican Republic until he was 15, as he and his family moved there to care for his grandmother, who has Alzheimer's disease. Up to that point, Almeida was considered a rising prospect in the 2025 MLB amateur draft class. Now, because of the move to the Dominican Republic, he's eligible to sign sooner, and he comes to terms with the Orioles. And the profile in Almeida sounds like a lot of the kind of players that the Orioles go after. Young, projectable, athletic, up-the-middle players, in Almeida's case, a shortstop, with good strike zone judgment and a good arm. That is what most scouting reports suggest that he has. MLB Pipeline had him as the 20th best international prospect for this signing period. Baseball America had him at 17th. MLB Pipeline in particular 
gave high praise to his arm. Right now, grading it as a 55 on the 20 to 80 scouting scale and noting that it could, that he, quote, projects to have a plus arm. What's also interesting about Almeida is that because of that background where he actually developed much of his amateur baseball career in the United States, he could, in fact, skip the Dominican Summer League this year. We don't know for sure that that's going to be the case, but it is possible that Almeida will be in the FCL this year. So, Nick, um, we've been learning more about Almeida over the last few months as rumors picked up that the Orioles were going to sign him and then even more after they agreed with terms with him this past weekend. So what are your thoughts on this pickup? Uh, I'm getting more and more excited about Almeida. And I think it's largely due to the fact that, like you mentioned, his background is so unique. He played baseball here in the United States up until he was 15 years old. He was you know, on the radar of pretty much every major college program. And so we have a lot more information about him. He was able to, he did an interview, uh, an intro press conference there with Kobe Perez on signing day, which was amazing to, to watch. But yeah, I think you mentioned kind of his profile there. And I just think he fits in the perfectly into kind of what we've seen the last couple of years. You look at Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Holiday, for example, this is what, what I was thinking of as you're trying to read up more about Almeida. Holiday and Henderson were two very young up the middle bats with a ton of potential. Uh, but I think Gunner reached the big leagues not long after his 21st birthday. Holiday, as Tim DeJean alluded to last week, uh, you guys, awesome interview there. Uh, he could possibly end next year in double A as a 19 year old. Uh, so I think if the player development process goes right there, you're looking at uh, two guys who are going to be pushed super aggressively. And with Almeida, yeah, he's just 16. And I know there's all this talks of could he skip the DSL, but Kobe Perez did say in that interview, like, we're going to slow down. We're going to take it slow with him, make sure we do this right. He is still just a 16-year-old kid, doesn't turn 17, I think, until April, sometime in April. So let him develop. But I don't think it's crazy to think we're looking, the kid just signed last week, looking way ahead. But I think he's on that same type of trajectory, though. He's a young kid who the organization can be aggressive with once he gets in and starts playing. And he's got an enormously high ceiling. That's why the Orioles paid him $2.3 million. And with his amateur background being so much different than his peers, I just don't think it's crazy to think that he could be an 18-year-old kid ending next year in high A. I don't think that's crazy to, to think about if a lot goes right between now and then. So I think it's that same signing. And in two years, after he's played, got some more minor league games under his belt, in two years, you're going to be looking at another middle infielder in this system. And you're like, what are we going to do with him? We got another one down here in the pipeline. Uh, and it's just really cool to see this organization just stack this talent like this. Yeah, and I think there's a reason you go for up the middle players. And I think there's in particular a reason you go for up the middle players like Almeida because you can look at their profile, you can look at the reports and realize that this is not someone who's probably going to be playing first base in three years. Um, he's got the ability to move around a little bit. The reports, you know, reports that I've read seem to suggest that he could move over the third base if he outgrows shortstop. And, you know, honestly, I, I don't think that's a guarantee that he will. I, you know, we're going to have to see how he looks, but that's not always going to happen. So it is possible you've got a guy who could stick at shortstop. Yeah. And something else that stood out to me, too, in listening to Kobe Perez's interview right after those initial signs were announced, the first thing, I can't remember who asked him, but someone asked, kind of what led to this signing. And Perez talked about how they first saw Almeida in a tournament in Mexico. 
And then seeing that he's from New Jersey, there's Jersey connections. The Orioles were able to do some background work there. And one of the first things press started talking about was uh, Almeida's family and where he comes from and the good head on his shoulders and, you know, what his, what his parents did for a living. And just, you know, it's another instance of this organization making sure they bring in these high character guys. Uh, it's leaders, true team players. A couple of these guys, I think we're going to highlight a few that stood out to us, but the Orioles player development Twitter account highlighted a couple of these signings. And you saw that in some of their descriptions, like a leader, true leader on the field. Uh, and so it's really cool. There are so many similarities I'm seeing between how they go about attacking the amateur draft and now how they're attacking the international side of this. Now that this organization is, you know, or this regime is now what, four years into this, three, four years into this, you're starting to see guys who they've been connected with for many years. They form tight relationships with, the Orioles have established their presence in Venezuela, for one. I know a lot of signings coming out of Venezuela. But they're establishing their presence in the DR again. Um, and it's really cool to see these higher and higher bonuses, bigger and bigger talents decided to join this organization. And Almeida mentioned it. He said, in his opinion, this is the best farm system in baseball. And he thinks this organization is going to be the best one to help him develop as a player and a person. And he said from the start, the Orioles were, were the team that he wanted to sign with. And that it's really cool to start seeing these international guys being excited to join Baltimore. As we know, it's been an area of baseball that I know I never paid attention to growing up because the Orioles weren't players in this. So it's, it's fun to be looking at this from a different angle now. Yeah. I think it's actually worth uh, taking a step back and looking at the big picture of what has happened since Michael Elias took over the baseball operations in this organization and brought in Kobe Perez. I think everyone knew that, becoming big players in Latin America and being more aggressive international free agency was something the Orioles had to do if they were going to compete with the other 29 teams in Major League Baseball because it was clear that they were so far behind the curve before that. Um, I don't know that I necessarily saw sort of the acceleration in those efforts coming the way that they have where you have this new academy coming in Dominican Republic that's going to be a major investment that it should be finished um, soon hopefully uh you've seen record bonuses giving out in three straight off seasons and you're looking not just at that but then you know as i point out in a piece of baltimore sports and life yesterday probably the biggest success story so far um of the international free agents that have been signed by michael Elias and kobe perez is frederick ben cosme who got ten thousand dollars was not a guy that was you know on any big list going into that signing period in 2020, someone who really did not get attention nationally until last year. And he's now probably a consensus top 30 prospect in this organization. So when you really step back, the Orioles are being more aggressive, but there are signs there they're being smart about it too. And I should stress that we're years away probably from knowing if any of this is going to work or how much of it is going to work. But there are some very early positive signs here. Yeah, it's kind of you, like, like I mentioned how the Orioles attack the amateur draft versus what they're doing on the international side of things now. I think it's the same strategy also there in that in those first couple of picks, you're you're going for your Adler, you're going for Colton Kowser, you're going for your Jackson Holiday, you're going for these high ceiling guys, these guys that you know you can be aggressive with early on in their development, and they're up for that challenge. 
But you know, the ceiling is there, guys you can dream on. And that's, you know, Michael Hernandez. We know he hasn't panned out yet, but he's still a young player. That's still someone that you can still dream on him. Samuel Basayo is a guy who is getting all the national love at this point. We're going to get to see him now in Delmarva next year where he could really take off. Uh, you're seeing that the top ends of these class, hopefully Braylon Tavera makes a lot of noise uh, this upcoming season, but you're seeing these high-end guys, Almeida this year with the high ceilings, but you mentioned Ben Cosme being a top 30 prospect now signed for $10,000. Aaron Estrada statistically was a guy who stood out in last year's draft class, and he was no one talked about. Uh, last year I, I don't even think his name was brought up in our conversation with Kobe Perez when he was on after last year's signing class um, so it's the same thing where go big at the top and then just cast this wide net you saw what 27 signings it's this wide net of players now where yeah you hope a few pan out but you get guys that have traits that you like and you let the player development staff go to work and hopefully a few pan out and I think a few guys definitely look interesting but it's it's really fun to see who's going to start coming out of here. Uh, who are the standouts going to be starting next year? We're going to start seeing more of those guys. I think Perez had a, a really cool analogy, described it as a flower. You know, you, you plant the seed. Well, now we're starting to see it, it come out of the dirt. You know, it's not a flower, a full-on flower yet, but we're starting to see that sprout. Uh, and, and these are Basaya reaching Delmarva. Uh, hopefully, Braylon Tavera, Michael Hernandez, and the FCL, maybe one or two of those guys reaching Delmarva by the end of the year. We're starting to see them trickle up, and um, you know, clearly it's it's taken not a long time to get one of the top international free agents this year. I think Baseball America, I don't know with, with final numbers being reported if Almeida was still the a top 20 in terms of money received, but projected for you know, was the 16th highest signing bonus in this class. In just three years, they went from that, from getting nobody to pretty much to signing one of the top 10, top 15 guys in this class. So it's it's going to be really fun to start seeing these classes in two, three years, even um, well until the draft, I guess comes into play, which I'm sure will be that then they'll change the whole game up. But we want to focus on the whole class. The Orioles announced that they had come to terms with 27 players um, over the course of the weekend. Almeida's bonus was the highest of that group at 2.3 million. It was in fact, the only bonus to cross the million dollar threshold, but there still seems to be a lot of interesting players that the Orioles picked up including in the infield. And I think that's some Nick has found someone there that he wants to highlight. Yeah. Some of these infielders, uh, there's another Amparo, which I just thought was a uh, pretty cool, but I like Jose Mejia. And, and again, we've never watched these guys. We're going strictly off what the organization is putting out there right now, but, and a, a lot of digging on Instagram for videos. Luckily these kids love to uh, do it for the gram. Uh, I don't know if, the kids still say that, but uh, you know, they still like to put a lot of their highlights on Instagram, which thank you for that. So we get to see something. Jose Mejia stood out to me. He was also part of the the few that the Orioles player development Twitter account highlighted, which I think they do that for a reason, but he's listed as an infielder. A lot of the videos are him playing at shortstop, but I just think that without knowing his exact height weight right now, just going off, you know, these Instagram videos and other sources, it looks, he looks like someone to me that, if he could hit one last growth spurt, I don't know. I think he's 17. He might be, I think he's 17 or 18. I can't remember his birthday off the top of my head, but if he could hit one last growth spurt and add like an inch or two and fill out that frame, he becomes, I think one of the bigger prospects you can dream on physically in this class, because according to the Orioles notes, he's got a, he projects for a 60 hit tool with 50 power. And you look at some of the video 
and in my opinion, my untrained eyes see, yeah, I see the power. I see a lot of power potential. Uh, they talked about how he's a natural leader with good instincts, already a strong fastball hitter who can see spin. So if this is a 16, 17 year old kid who's already hitting good fastball. Fastball is a good velo. If he's already picking up spin, I think this is a kid who's going to be advanced when he gets to the DSL. Um, so yeah, I just think he's one of about 10 guys who I have my eye on uh, coming into next year and just see statistically who stands out in the DSL and what kind of information we get from uh, the, the limited resources that come out of the DSL. Yeah, we should stress it's very limited resources. And if we, as we've talked about a lot on this show, um, we try to avoid scouting the stat line as much as possible. But with the Dominican Summer League, we tend to look at the walk to strikeout numbers for hitters. Uh, and try to use that as a gauge for how we think they're going to perform. And based on at least what the Orioles have said about Mejia, he seems to be the kind of guy that should thrive in that area next year. And what's interesting to me is that when you look at those potential scouting grades, where you're talking about someone who would have a hit tool of 60 and power of 50 at second base, that is really good for that position. So I agree with you. Mejia was a guy that stood out to me. One of the signings that I really, really am interested in is right-handed pitcher Keeler Morfe. Um, he signed for $200,000 out of Venezuela. And the Orioles note that he has a fastball that touches 95 miles an hour with sinking action and plus command. He has that to go with a slider that runs 81 to 83 miles an hour and an 85 to 87 mile per hour changeup that the Orioles also said is plus command. What stood out to me in the videos is that it just looks like he has a very natural, comfortable delivery. Um, I feel like when you see a lot of young pitchers, especially ones that have not really filled out yet, and, and Morfe looks like a guy who still has room to grow at 16 years old, sometimes the deliveries look like they're really trying to maximize that effort. Morfe's, to me, looked really smooth, and the fact that he's able to hit 95 now is really encouraging, and he compared that with what seemed to be two pretty good secondaries. Yeah, I, he was the guy that I was going to highlight if you didn't jot him down first because that stood out to me instantly. Like Almeida is obviously the gem of this class right now, but, man, when you put out that video and say, this is a 16-year-old kid, 17-year-old kid, he's throwing 95 already with a slider and 85, 87-mile-an-hour changeup with plus command. Like That's what caught me, the changeup with plus command. Like, Yes, please. I, I don't think any pitcher in last year's class really stood out to me like Morphe did when I watched his videos. Um, Henry Tejada was the guy who really stood out to me in last year's class, and he just got busted for like PEDs and is going to like not pitch next year. And we've seen a couple of interesting arms, but when you see Morphe and those numbers, like you hear all the time about pitchers in the amateur draft class, the guys coming up at the high school ranks, like, He's got a change up, a slight feel for a change up, but you know, he's never had to throw it in high school because he can blow everybody away with 95 mile an hour, 96 mile an hour heat. But now if you got the 17-year-old international kid who's got you know 10, 12 mile an hour separation between the fastball and change up, he's got plus command of a change up already. That's got me excited to watch Morphe pitch, uh, for sure. Him and another arm too that I was intrigued by. I was looking for more information about him, but again, pretty limited. Xavier Alvaro. He was out of Cuba, uh, a Cuban pitcher they signed. He gave $80,000 to. He had a couple of interesting videos as well. Thicker kid, uh, big body guy who I, I think looks like he can pound the strike zone in some of the videos that I've seen. 
I'm anxious to learn more about him and considering he's got the Cuban background and what his story is, but definitely some interesting arms. And, you know, like we've heard from a lot of people in this organization, the, the inter- on the international side of things, like these guys are coming and the organization seems genuinely excited about uh, the guys that they're able to bring in here. Speaking of pitchers, what stood out to me was the Orioles write up of Francisco Morale. Now, you know, when you issue a press release announcing your international free agency class and you pick players to highlight, you're obviously going to point out the positive attributes. But what I found interesting was that their report about morale, they explicitly said that he projects as a middle of the rotation starter, which is not an easy thing to do with a 17 year old player to project them as a mid rotation guy. But when you look at what he reportedly has to offer, a fastball that reaches 92 miles an hour with a lot of movement and plus life, um, a decent change up. And that's how the Orioles phrased it to go with a 12 to six curveball. Now from the left side at 17 years old to be throwing 92 with a change up and a curveball is a great place to start. So again, you know, you're looking at a long-term development, but it seems like this is a pitcher who would have some of the ingredients that you would want. I'm watching his video right now. And I, I love that breaker. He can, he gets behind that pitch a little bit. He arches that back and it just falls in beautifully. Um, yeah, it, it's the pitchers that I'm kind of most intrigued to see by because it's not the guys we talk about the Houston Astros model all the time. It's not the guys that they give big signing bonuses to. It's guys they signed later in the in the process. It's guys they gave the minimum to who are now contributing to a World Series team. Uh, so this is where the area that I'm most intrigued by because I want to see is some of that magic going to work its way here in Baltimore and which of these guys start to stand out for us. And we're going to start to see more of these guys next year in the FCL and in Delmarva, but you know, we're seeing Davy Cruz already last year and some other guys. Uh, it's good to see more influx of these types of pitchers. It's all these pitchers. It seems like they're, they're bigger kids. They're tall. They're already got a good frame. And if they're only 17 years old, there's a lot of, you talk about projection all the time. There's a lot of physical projection with these guys looking at Moreo right now. I mean, could he be throwing 96, 97, in five years and being a DL hall type pitcher. I mean, it's, it's fun to, this is the part of that. I love It's just what could become of these kids. They're so young. These highlights are, are so good. Obviously they're good highlight tapes, but it's fun to dream on what these guys can become in a couple of years in this player development system. Now, not that we view or should view signing bonuses as an indication of prospect status. Um, and if you look at our list over the years, you'll see that that um, is the case where we're not always going to look at a signing bonus to determine the player's prospect status. But for listeners who are wondering how the bonus money was distributed, um, as I noted earlier, Almeida was the only player to receive a bonus that was seven figures. The second highest bonus reported by multiple sources, including the athletic was Joshua Lorenzo who received $500,000. The Orioles described Lorenzo as a shortstop with immense power uh, a loose swing and plus plus bat speed um, and also apparently shows loose defensive action, good footwork and a plus arm over from the left side of the infield. So kind of sounds familiar, uh, projectable bat, shortstop with a good arm. Again, we're going to have to see how he performs once he gets into the organization, but clearly an interesting skill set already. 
Yeah. And like you mentioned, I mean, yeah, the signing bonuses, you got Almeida and outside of him, there's not a lot of other names that got a ton of money. But I, I like I like this strategy, especially right now as you're continuing to fill out the lower levels of the minor leagues, your DSL rosters, your FCL rosters, and you're still establishing your your presence in a lot of these countries. I think this is a good strategy just to cast this wide net, see what kind of players you get. Uh, again, just go after the pitchers who have the traits you like. Uh, if you know that, yeah, I've already got a good changeup. I've already got good fastball velo. Clearly this organization feels confident in their ability to teach a slider. All right. We we're going to be able to work with you. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's cool. And I also like that they left that little extra money. Uh, I, I would not be shocked. Perez talked about leaving about 500, was it $500,000 left over? Yeah. Roughly around 500,000. In case another Cesar Prieto situation pops up. Um, I, I'm interested to see, over the next couple of weeks or over the next couple of months, even because even last year they were signing guys in May, June and July to uh, international deals. But I'm going to be interested to see if the Orioles get aggressive with uh, anyone else that's hanging around or if, if another Prieto situation does pop up Are the Orioles, the team that's going to be the aggressive one there. But I like that idea also of leaving a little bit on the table and you've got 27 guys now to, to bring in and work with um, even the most interesting one though, I just want to see him play because I think it's just a cool story. Uh, uh, Jorge Mateo's brother, bringing him into the organization. I thought that was pretty cool. Catcher out of the DR. Um, that that was pretty awesome uh, to see. And to see Jorge Mateo there celebrating with all the guys, I imagine that was pretty cool for especially the Dominican Republican players that the Orioles signed to have someone like Mateo there. Um, I, I can imagine that was a pretty special day for a lot of those kids. Absolutely. And I'll um, wrap up our discussion here about the international signings with this, which is that we have always talked about maybe the international signings compared to the draft, which one raises the floor of the farm system versus which one raises the ceiling. You factor in two of the prospects that the Orioles picked up in trades in recent years. So Nick, looking at this class, would you say the Orioles have raised the ceiling of the farm system, have raised the floor, or perhaps a little bit of both? I, th I still think it's the ceiling. I do like that analogy a lot still because, I mean, you look at Almeida's potential, these guys that we just highlighted, you look at their potential, yeah, it's very high, but there's also a lot can go wrong here. I mean, some of these are still 16, 17-year-old kids. They've got life-changing money. A lot of these kids are getting life-changing money right now for not only them, but their families, their friends. A lot's going to change. Um, they're moving. A lot of these guys that you know were signed out of Cuba or Colombia, Venezuela, looking at the list, seeing if there was anything else. Looks like just Venezuela, the DR, one pitcher from Colombia, and then one pitcher from Cuba. Um, these guys who aren't from the DR, they're going to move to a different country right now and uh, have to you know be working out at the Orioles uh, establishment there, but a lot's going to change for them. And I actually went back and read future value, Eric Long and Hagen and Kylie McDaniel's book, still a very relevant book, still an awesome read. If you haven't read it, there are two chapters on the was the J two period, but now the it's the J 15 period. Uh, and they talk a lot about the, the changes that these kids have to go through. Like a lot of these guys, it's not just the money, but access in some players in instance, access to food and being able to control the nutrition and learn the nutrition side of things and how, there are some guys, you know, they gain 30, 40 pounds and, you know, they're not able to cut it anymore. Um, we know a large percentage of these guys are not going to make it to full season ball, but that's why I like the, you raise the ceiling 
because the potential is enormous. But yeah, the, the floor is certainly extremely low with these guys. That's absolutely something we're going to be interested in following going forward. Um, Nick, before we wrap up tonight, any final thoughts? I am excited for baseball now. We're just a couple of weeks away. It's that period where we're so close because spring training is just a couple of weeks away, but we're so far away still because the minor league season doesn't start till April. Um, but yeah, it's it's fun. I'm, I'm glad to be back this week. Hopefully Bob is back next week and the three of us can uh, look forward to um, one step closer to opening day. Yeah, absolutely. We plan for all three of us to be back on the air next week. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. You can also check out our accounts on Facebook and Instagram. Also be sure to sign up for our Patreon community for as little as $3 a month. You'll have access to a WhatsApp chat. Uh, and then for our higher tier tiers of Patreon, you will be able to see daily content from us, including our continuing countdown of the top 50 prospects in the Orioles farm system. As Nick noted earlier in the show, we're about to release number 31, which is going to have a little surprise interview for our patrons. So you're going to want to be sure to check that out. And then, of course, after that, we've got more players to cover. So we still got a ways to go revealing our top 50 prospects list. So be sure to get in on that. And check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest coverage on the NFL playoffs, the Orioles, college sports, and more. And while you're there, hop on the message board and join the discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors. Thank you so much to our guest, Connor Norby, tonight for a great interview and for his time in sharing his insight into his process of developing in the Orioles farm system. Uh, we look forward to being back on the air next week for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. This is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.